I've entitled this message, A Joyful Saviour. A Joyful Saviour. Do you know, over in India, there are a group of people, men, women and children, who are known as the untouchables. They are the lowest of the society. Everyone around them hates them. They are given the worst jobs, working in kilns, which are brick-making factories. They are despised. They are discarded. They are treated as rubbish. They are in India, and they are called the untouchables. It's a shame that even in our society, which so, so much technology, we still have a group of people in our world that nobody wants to touch, nobody wants to speak to. And they're over there in India. When I open the Bible, I come to this verse, and, and, and I'm thinking about Jesus inviting people. Look at this verse that opens our Bible reading this morning. It says this, now the tax collectors and sinners We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors back in the days, they were the men who nobody liked because they collected your taxes. Even now, we don't like paying taxes, right? But um, in those days, they collected taxes. And not only did they collect taxes for the Romans, they collected more than enough for themselves. And so they were hated by so many of the religious establishment. But not only that, we have sinners. There were the people who the religious men of the day hated. They don't look down upon them. They were the ones that they don't want in their synagogues. They don't want them around. And and they were discarded and pushed to one side. But we read in the Bible that these very people, the tax collectors and the sinners, were gathering around Jesus. And Here we have Jesus, pure, holy, without sin, spotless, undefiled. We have him being approached by these men and women. Men and women who were rejected, poor, hated, the untouchables of their day. Jesus had them gathering around him. Amazing. Now I thought to myself, how is that possible? Well, two ways why that is possible. And I want to show you from the Bible how it is possible. The first thing I want to show you is this title given to Jesus as high priest. Jesus is called by uh, the Hebrew writer, the high priest. Now, I want you to forget about the the Catholic priest thing with all their garments and hats and sticks, wherever they have, you know, forget about that. The high priests in the Old Testament were very, very significant because the the high priest was someone who would look at and touch men and women with leprosy. Look at the Bible reading. Go back to Leviticus When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine them. Leprosy back in the day were horrible. The boils coming over your skin, it was a a horrible skin disease. It was a wasting 
disease. It was a terminal illness. And when you had leprosy and it begins to come on your skin, the first person you had to see was the priest. Everyone else will run away from you. Everyone else will turn around and say, don't touch me, don't come to my house. But it was the priest who welcomed them into the tent and it was him who had to examine them and touch them. You know, sin is like leprosy. The Bible would explain to us sin is a wasting disease. Sin is a terminal illness. You know, and Jesus doesn't turn away. No, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who will touch the sinner. Jesus is the one who will welcome the sinner. The person that everyone else will want to not hang around with, the religious establishment, the religious leaders who look down on men and women because they're not like them. Jesus welcomes them and touches them and holds them. Praise be to God. He is approachable. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend of sinners. It's funny, I, I was sending some WhatsApp messages to a few friends. And I was sending a message to this guy called Paul. He's not here today, but he wouldn't mind me telling you our conversation. And so I, I text him or WhatsApp him. And I said to him, this was my message. I said, um, I said hi, Paul. But I really wish more people could see just how Christ can change and transform people. And it's not just for those who, are, who have dark sides, but for all men and women. I haven't met a perfect person yet, Paul. Have you? So I send that message to him. A few minutes later, he sent me back a message. This is his reply. Thank you, Jerry. And you're right. Nobody is perfect except my wife. She has never been in trouble, never done a wrong thing, and is a perfect wife and a perfect mum. Well, I thought that's a really lovely thing. The point of view, right, but it's not true. But um, <laughs> it was nice for him to say that. You know, but the truth of the matter is, even if your wife or your husband think you're perfect, the wonderful thing is that Jesus wants to hang out with men and women who are not perfect. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel. He wants to sit down with you even though you're not perfect. Others may think you might be perfect, but you know that you're not perfect. And Jesus turns around and says, I want to sit down with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be able to have fellowship with you. And that is such a, a wonderful thing. So he's called the high priest. Another title Jesus is called in the Bible is a mediator. Some of you may know the story of Job. He was a man who lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his children. He lost his business. He lost so much and he couldn't understand why. And that's so true. I mean, you know, Kim and I went through a terrible loss last year. And some of the things that came through our minds was why. I was speaking again to a lady who this week, I spoke to her this week, but a few months ago she lost her husband who, lost, who left two children behind. And she sent me a text and she 
again, a born-again believer, a Christian, and she said, I'm still wondering why these things happened. Well, that's not unusual because here was Job, and Job lost so much. And look what he says. He says this. Speaking about God, he says, he, that is God, he's not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. And his desire is, if only I can confront God and speak to him myself, if only I can get to a place like a courtroom and have a word with God. That is his cry. But then he goes on and he says, if only... There was someone to mediate between us. Someone to bring us together, to lay his hand upon both of us. And he's saying, if only there was someone who would lay his hand upon me, a broken man who's lost so much, a poor sinner, and the same one to lay his hand upon God and the Holy One and bring us together. If only there was someone, he cries out, someone to lay his hand upon me. And to lay his hand upon God. If only there was someone. And the New Testament will cry out to Job. Yes, Job. Yes, Job. Yes. There is someone. And we read in Timothy. For there is one God. And one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. He was the one who laid his hand upon broken men and women who have lost so much bereaved, who are saddened, who are confused. Men and women who are sinful, wicked, vile and defiled. Men and women who are broken. He lays his hand upon them. But also he lays his hand upon God. And he brings them together. It was an old film um, with Dustin Hoffman, cool, I'm going back some years now, called Kramer versus Kramer. An old film, it's a film about a marriage breaking up, the husband and the wife, Mr. Kramer and Mrs. Kramer, are divorcing one another and they needed a mediator, a go-between, somebody to speak and bring them together. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus sat with sinners. Jesus sat with men and women who were broken. Jesus sits with men and women who were deceased with sin. Jesus sits down with others who don't understand the Christian faith, don't understand what Jesus has done on the cross. They're confused and they say, it's not for me. He sits down with men and women like that and he lays hands on them and say, I know where you are. I will mediate, I will be the go-between, between you and God. It's not surprising that the religious leaders, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. He has fellowship with them. He gets to know them. He knows them by name. He knows their backgrounds and their, and their struggles. He knows them. Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Praise be to God. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise be to God. I'm so glad he's welcomed sinners. 
And um, this church must do the same. The question is, how eager is Jesus to welcome sinners? How eager is he to welcome men and women? You see, churches give the impression that you must be so perfect before you come into church. So good. They give the impression that you have to be able to hold your knife and fork in the right hands. They give the impression that you have to dress right, speak right, walk right, then you can come to church. Jesus speaks and says, that's not the case. And he gives us two stories, two parables to help us to understand what he is speaking about. The first parable that Jesus gives, um, and I, my, my new title then is Jesus Searches. So the first parable that Jesus gives is um, this one about this lost sheep. Let's read it in its entirety. So here it is. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I have found the lost sheep. I tell you that there is, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. The first thing Jesus speaks about is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one goes missing. The shepherd in this story is Jesus himself. And do you see those sheep? All of them belongs to the shepherd. Even the one that went away, the missing one, all of the sheep belong to the shepherd. I want you to notice something here this morning. In the same way, it's important to understand that all men belong to Christ. All men. All men and women belong to Christ. That Muslim man, that Muslim woman, they belong to Christ. That black man, that white man, he belongs to Christ. Every single person on the planet belongs to Jesus. Why? Because the Bible tells me that all things are created for him and by him. Everybody has the image of God stamped upon them. You all belong to Christ. Every single time you find a person in any part of the world, that person belongs to Jesus. They may not be willing to look for him. But the emphasis is not on them looking for him. The emphasis, come on, you know what I'm saying. The emphasis is on him looking for them. That's the emphasis of our story. Let me just stop right here. How many of you, when you first became a Christian, how many of you woke up this morning, that morning and said, today... I'm going to become a born-again Christian. How many of you said that? How many of you thought to yourself, I'm going to look for God? I can remember my own conversion. I got saved when I was 12 years old. And I can remember that I didn't go to the youth meeting 
expecting anything to happen. After all, I knew what I was. I was a loud mouth, arrogant bum. That's what I was. And I sat at the meeting. And on that day, for some strange reason, I heard that Jesus died for sinners. He died for me. He gave his life for me. And on that day, I gave my heart to Christ. You know, Jesus Christ was on my case years before. It wasn't as if I woke up that morning and decided to look for him. No, he was looking for me years ago. And I want to tell you this morning, Christ is looking for you and has been looking for you years before you even thought about him. If you're a Christian this morning, he had you in his sights the very day you was born. Praise be to God. Now, this sheep goes missing. And I want you to realize the dangers that the sheep put itself in. It's left in an open field. It has the danger of falling into a deep pit. The dangers of falling off a cliff. It had the dangers of not finding enough food to eat. It had the danger of falling into a river and drowning. I remember um, me and my family, we went on a holiday in the um, Lake District. And while we was in the Lake District, we were having a walk through the forest and some of the kids um, saw something in the water. So we all went down to the, the, to the water. When we got to the edge of the water, we looked through the bushes and there was a dead sheep floating in the water. The smell was horrible. Not a sort of thing that you go sightseeing for in the Lake District. But the sheep must have wandered away from wherever it was and, and it fell into the water and it drowned. And then there's wild animals and wild beasts looking to feed on that sheep. And so this sheep wanders away from the fold and it wanders into an open field and there was dangers everywhere that surrounded that sheep. Now the shepherd did not leave that sheep. The shepherd goes out looking for that sheep. And Jesus turns around and says, you know what, there's dangers for every single person out there today. Religion, philosophies, ideologies, whatever you may call it, Satan is using everything in order to do one thing. And here it is. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He will use anything, philosophies, ideologies, false religion. He can use anything he, he wants to use, but his main idea is to make sure he kills, steals, and destroys everyone that has the mark of Jesus and the mark of God upon them. That is his desire. That is his will. But then Jesus turns around after this verse. Jesus speaks and he says, you know what? I, hallelujah, he speaks and he says, I am the good shepherd. I am not one of these fake shepherds. I'm not one of these pretend shepherds. No, 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 no. no. I am the good shepherd. I'm going to go out looking for you. You're in danger. You don't know how much danger you're in, but you're in danger. I'm going to go looking for you. And when I find you, I'm going to bring you home. Praise be to God. 
I'm going to be looking for you. Not only am I looking for you, this verse says, I'm going to even lay down my life for you. What a wonderful shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He is indeed a good shepherd. Now I also want you to notice about this story. Not only this sheep wanders away into dangers and Jesus knows the dangers the sheep is in and he knows the dangers that you're in through false religion, false ideas and philosophies. He knows the dangers that's out there. He goes out looking and I want you to notice what he does. He finds the sheep. Look what And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He joyfully, he's not like, oh, you crumbing sheep, look at you, come here, strap of the neck, drag the sheep through the fields and flings it into the pen. No, the Bible says he finds the sheep. When he finds it, he joyfully picks it up, places it on his shoulders. Listen, it may take him hours for that sheep to wander away, weeks maybe, But the shepherd still goes out for him. And when he finds him, he joyfully brings him home. I want to tell you this morning, some of our lives takes years to mess up. Years. Some of us are professionals at messing up our lives, aren't we? And we go through life making mistakes and we make wrong choices. We turn down wrong roads. We have wrong relationships. We spend the money in the wrong way and it takes months and years and as we go on we're messing up our lives again and again and again but I want to tell you this morning it only takes one saviour to find you and when he finds you he picks you up and does all the hard work you've done all the work getting yourself into trouble but when he comes he picks you up and then he carries you on his shoulders You don't have to do any work. No more walking, no more struggling. He just carries you back home. That is a wonderful saviour the Bible presents. A Jesus who carries men and women who wander far away from him. He carries them home joyfully back to the Father. How wonderful saviour he is. I must rush on because time is moving on to the third and final part of the story that Jesus tells. So Jesus, he searches. The second thing I want to say about Jesus is that he shines. Can we look at the, the last story? Here it is, the last parable. Well, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, And search carefully until she finds it. It's amazing that the Lord uses a woman here in the example. You know, I'm personally, I'm a a good house cleaner. I like doing the cleaning around the house. I can handle a hoover with one eye open. I can mop the kitchen, no problem. But when Kim cleans, it's another level altogether. The steam Sting comes out and things are steam clean. And everything is far better than what I do. I went to my friend Jeff's house last night. I said, Jeff, who cleans your house? He said, I do. His wife quickly correct him. 
There's something about the women who can clean far better than what men can do, even though we're not bad ourselves, or some of us anyway. But here, Jesus uses a woman, and he says that this woman loses a silver coin. Can I just stop here, right minute, right here. She loses a silver coin. That precious silver coin, Jesus saying, is you. You are that silver coin. You are that precious thing that is lost. The men and women that were sitting around him, the tax collectors and the sinners, the ones that the religious men didn't like and looked down upon, Jesus said, you here are the precious silver coin that has fallen down somewhere and is lost. I want to stop right there. That needs to sink down. Some people don't value themselves very much. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus valued you. So much so that he calls you a silver coin that was lost. And so, the interesting thing is here, is that she lights a lamp. She lights a lamp. You see, that silver coin must have fallen into a darkened corner somewhere. Or maybe it's fallen into a crack in the floorboard that is quite dark and can't be seen or maybe it's under a table that is shady and and you can't see it with a naked eye and so she lights a lamp so that the whole house the whole room is lit by this light and she can look for the coin some people their lives have fallen indeed into many Darkened places. Some people have got themselves in some, some messes, some pickles in their time. And maybe they're hiding through shame. Maybe they're hiding through guilt. But they find themselves sometimes in a dark place. But when the light of the gospel shines, it shines not to embarrass them. It shines not to bring them shame. It shines, not to make them feel bad about their their life in that sense. It shines so that they can be found. And so the light of the gospel, I like what Paul says. He says this in Colossians, for he has ransomed us from the dominion of darkness. Jesus has ransomed us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. That's what Jesus has done. The darkness, we have fallen into someplace that we don't understand fully. We think we're okay, but we're in the kingdom of darkness. But the light of the gospel shines. And Jesus rescues us from the darkness and brings us into his kingdom of light. And places us in his son. How? In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Here the Lord Jesus Christ does it. By forgiving us. Cleansing us. Washing us. Or finding us. And he brings us into the right place. All sinners are found. 
Now in closing, Jesus points to how he makes him feel when he finds you. And I want to close with this. Jesus points to how he makes him feel. And so he says here, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and rejoices together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, he says it in the, part, in, 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 the, in the previous parable. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus rejoices over you. He rejoices over you. You may not feel like rejoicing over yourself sometimes, but I want to tell you every morning, Jesus rejoices over you. And when someone who was in the world and in the darkness and with sin in their lives and no concern about God, when someone who doesn't think about salvation or being born again, someone who completely shut themselves down, finally says, yes, Lord, I understand that you love me. The Bible says, Jesus says, amen, hallelujah. Jesus begins to jump and praise God because one sinner, one sinner has entered into his kingdom. What joy in the heart of Christ. And not only does he rejoice, the angels look and see Jesus rejoicing. And they say, we're not going to let you rejoice on your own, Jesus. We're going to rejoice as well. And the Bible says, angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. The only people who do not rejoice are the religious ones. The religious men and women who look at Jesus and say, you know what, he's spends time with tax collectors and sinners and they mutter and they moan. You know, we still have those people in our world today. That when the man and the woman comes into church wearing a hat on their heads or they've got earrings in their ears or tattoos all over their bodies or they've you know, been involved in drinking drugs or whatever they've been involved in and they come into the house of God, some people turn around and say, don't talk to him, he's a little bit of a nasty character. But what would Jesus do? I tell you now, Jesus will pass every single one of you and walk directly to that person and welcome him. Our gospel, what we preach, is a gospel of the love and the mercy of Christ. Even when people are full of sin, even when when women and men are those who are broken and who don't understand why things are happening in their life, don't understand the pain, don't understand the sadness, don't understand their own sin. There's a mediator, someone who goes between, who lays their hand upon that broken woman, their hand upon that broken man and say, fear not, my hand is touching the almighty God. I'm the mediator between God and man. And I'll bring them together, the man Christ Jesus. Friends, I rejoice with you. If you're saved this morning, I rejoice with Christ because he's rejoicing over you. And if you're not saved yet, then believe me, when you do finally 
Lay down your arms. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your resistance. When you finally say, no, I'm not fighting anymore, I want to tell you, there'll be rejoicing in heaven over that woman, that man. You say, yes, Lord. Thank you for searching for me. I was a lost sheep, but you found me and brought me home, rejoicing. Praise God. Father, Father in heaven, I pray that today there will be some searching going on. Not only in this church, Lord, I do pray that in this church, Jesus, I pray that you will be searching in this church, looking for those wandering souls, wandering men and women and bringing them home. But oh, my prayer is that there will be a wider search going on in our society, oh God. Not just here in Goldings, but oh God Almighty, if it pleases you, that you will go to the byways and the hedgeways and to the side roads and to the high streets and Lord, you will find those who belong to you and bring them home. For I know that rejoices your heart, Lord. That's a prayer I know that you will answer because I know that rejoices your heart. Oh, Jesus Christ, thank you for being a good shepherd. Thank you for laying your life down for the sheep. We rejoice. We rejoice that we have been found by you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.